to um, Matthew chapter 5. We've been working through uh, a series that will take probably 52 weeks or so, but uh, the Lord, when he gave the Great Commission, said not only to go make disciples, but he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, of course, all that the Lord said and did couldn't be contained but we do find a number of places in the Gospels where there are imperative moods, which are commands that the Lord gave. And so we've been trying to work through those uh, one at a time and, and keeping the uh, thought in the back of our mind that these are commands from the king of kings mm -hmm. that are to be obeyed. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding as uh, I work through these that uh, it's not very comfortable at times. Mm. Because, uh, because of our overlooking them. But uh, they are necessary. And actually, I, I think that, you know, when we disciple people, people are saved and we disciple them, we kind of almost immediately go into eternal security, salvation, make sure they're saved, go into eternal security, talking about baptism, talking about church doctrine, and all that's necessary. But when you look at these commands that the Lord gave, uh, they are right down where the rubber's on the road. And uh, most of them are dealing with people. And actually, Christianity is people-related. And they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so this morning, we're, we're in the part two of Matthew 5, 27 through 32. So let me read that, and we'll review a little bit what we saw last week, and then uh, go forward. We're in the... Of course, the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord is, is talking about the, not just the, the letter of the law, but the very heart of the law. And he says in verse 27, You have heard it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so it's a heart problem. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. And cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And so as we, as we did in each of our lessons, we talk about 
what does the command say? We look at the words of the passage and define them, and most of them are very straightforward. And then we, secondly, we bring in other scriptures and we kind of flesh it out and how it relates to other scriptures. And then we bring us to a crisis moment. Uh, the old doctors, when they would go and they would say they're at the crisis point, which meant they're either going to get better or they're going to get worse. And the Lord brings us to this crisis moment. Are we going to obey or not obey? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we, we talk about that. And so when we look at the, just the, some of the wording here, is he says, uh, whosoever there uh, um, putteth away his wife, uh, verse 28, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, uh, not put away his wife, but to lust, whosoever, there's no exception here, whether they're presidents or kings or ministers or young or old, male or female, it's a matter of infidelity to look into lust. When it says looketh upon a woman, it's a present tense, which means you continually look. It's not just seeing at a glance something, but it's to continually look. And we use the old illustration that you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, uh, but you can keep it from building a nest there and referring to our thoughts. (coughs) And it's important to see that the wording is to lust after her, uh, to look with lust. Job said that he'd made a covenant with his eyes. Uh, Why should he look upon a maid? And uh, the word look there has the idea of gazing. And he says they committed adultery already in his heart. And some people have taken that to the extreme and say, well, I've already committed adultery in my heart, so I might as well just go ahead and commit adultery physically. Well, he's not justifying that at all. But he's just saying the heart of the matter is, is the heart of the matter. It's, it's what, what we need to watch and what we need to take care of. And uh, it begins in the heart. And uh, it's wrong, uh, both of them. Uh, but it's interesting, when you search this passage, and I wanted to teach all of it because of the significance of it, but... The imperatives, there's only two imperatives in this, and they're related together. But the imperative of this passage, the the command, when we say imperative, the direct command of this passage is found in verse 29. And if I write and I offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. And so the word pluck it out and cut it off are the imperatives. This is the king saying, okay, uh, deal with it and, and, and uh, pluck it out, uh, you know, uh, your eye, cut it off. And, and so he's, he's not saying here to, uh, to, to scar our body or to cut our hands off in the sense of the fact that uh, it begins in the heart. But he's saying, if there's something that is causing you to drift that way, something that is attracting you to drift that way, then cut it off. A very strong, very strong words for if the internet is causing you to view pornography, cut it off. It's a command. Deal with what's what's 
uh, drawing you into this. Deal with what is, you know, you're dabbling in and you think you're strong enough for it, but you're not strong enough for it. Cut it off. You know, if there's certain places you go or if you go to the movies or you rent certain movies or there's certain, you know, uh, places that are restaurants and, and there's, there's uh, bad influence there, then cut it off. And then he, he, where we went further, is that this whole issue of adultery jumps up at us in divorce and remarriage. And he says in verse 31, it has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, cause her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And we spoke to you how there's two phrases in this passage that we need to get a grasp of what it's talking about. When it says in verse 31, let, her, let him give her a writing of divorcement. We discussed that last week and we'll look at it again briefly. And then this uh, passage here where it says, saving for the cause of fornication, verse 32. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. If you don't understand the, the principle of giving the writing of divorcement, and if you don't understand the phrase saving for the cause of fornication, it's going to give you a license to uh, sin. It's very, uh, it's very strict. And so when he talks about the writing of divorcement, let's go back a, again, uh, and we won't take a lot of time, but what he's referring to is Deuteronomy chapter 24. In the book of Deuteronomy, the 24th chapter, and he says in verse 1, When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that he find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her and send her out of his house. And remember, we talked to you about there's two schools of rabbis rabbis uh, that thought concerning this and an uncleanness could mean she just displeased me I saw I, I saw some woman that attracted me more and she's displeasing to me and the other made a very strict holding to there had to be immorality that take place in, in, in their in their lives and she and when she's departed out of this house she may go and be another man's wife and if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give her her hand and send her out of his house, or if the latter, if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she is, that she is defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And so when in Jesus' day, when they said, well, you know, Moses gave a writing of divorcement, divorce is justified. Jesus, the, the, really when you study the passage, the writing of divorcement was not to encourage divorce, but to discourage it. It had to go, it had to go into the legal realm. You had to, you, there were some steps that you had to take. 
And then also there were some restrictions that said, if you get a divorce, understand this, before you just jump up and get a divorce, you need to understand it's out of the hardness of your heart. <laughs> God, never, God never blesses anything that's out of the hardness of the heart. And, and, and also, you're not going to be able to go back to that woman ever. You can't remarry. And then we, we said that people, we went back into chapter 22 and we showed you that sometimes, uh, 23, and how people say, well, you know, we were young and, and we stepped over the line and we were fornicating and we got pregnant and I had to marry her. And, you know, it was just doomed from the very first and it, and it wasn't going to work and so we got a divorcement. But if you study the scripture, it says if you take a maid in the field and she becomes pregnant, both parties willing, you could never divorce that girl. And so, so it all needs to be taken in context. You better really think about what you're doing. And then uh, we have this clause today, and, and maybe I should mention uh, that when you go to chapter 19, and this, uh, this thing about divorce is brought up, the Lord does not take the, the people who are listening to him, he does not take them to Deuteronomy chapter 24. He takes them to Genesis. And said, so what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. It has always been God's design, one man for one woman, and not, and, and not the st standard that the hardness of the heart, just the confusion that come about because a person is hardened in his heart um, is not God's design. Now, uh, this phrase, saving for the cause of fornication, there's a couple of things we need to, I don't know if I'll use that whiteboard just to keep your attention. If I go over and scribble on it, some of you will wake up. But uh, sometimes the term fornication can uh, be a term for all matter of uh, sexual sins. But when you have a, when you sit in a context where both fornication and adultery are used in the same context, then it can't be all matter of sexual sins. There's something different here. And uh, that one would be identified as adultery, a married couple, or someone married breaking their marriage vows, and fornication, cheating. But uh, the, what I, and we'll look at that more in depth here, but I want you to go, uh, we have this except for the cause of fornication. Let's go over to, to the Gospel of Mark and see how Mark recorded this. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and verse and the, Pharisees, and the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning... 
of creation, God hath made male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. In this passage of discussion of divorce, you don't see the words, save for the cause of fornication, the exception clause. It's, it's, not, it's not found here. And he goes on and says, and in the house, the disciples begin again the same matter. And he said unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. And so it's just straightforward. If you divorce and remarry, it's an adultery. Then look over in Luke, Luke chapter 16. And verse 18. Luke 16 and 18. And whoso put away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marries her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. No exception clause. And so I asked the question last week. If somehow we're putting a Bible together and we had not the, the, the manuscripts that, of Matthew, and we only had Mark and Luke and Romans and 1 Corinthians to teach the, about marriage and divorce and remarriage, could we, uh, could we faithfully stand and deliver God's word and say to divorce and remarry is adultery? That's all it says. Well, if we only had the book of Mark, I'm confident we could teach on divorce and adultery. But uh, we don't just have that. We do have the book of Matthew. And so, so either the Bible dovetails together and it's one unit or it's not. Because there's a contradiction here. So it causes us to deal, in, to deal very uh, deeper, to, to go into more detail to understand the phrase. One of the things that you need to understand is that, is that the book of Matthew is primarily, um, uh, Matthew is, is a primarily a Jewish-oriented book. It's, it's written to the world, but it's written from the Jewish standpoint addressed to the Jews. And when speaking concerning divorce and remarriage, it's in the context of Jewish culture, Jewish thinking and the customs, except for the cause of fornication. Mark, uh, Mark is written uh, to, really it's written to the Romans. And Luke is written to Gentiles. Again, I mean, the Bible, all of this for all men, but primarily the context is reaching out to those cultural groups. And so, except for the cause of fornication, he commits adultery except for the cause of fornication. Adultery and fornication used in the same passage. And we know that uh, 
like uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband. And so fornication there is referring to sex before marriage. And that's exactly what it seems to be referring to here. here. Even today, uh, we, we would identify fornication not so much as all sexual sin, but we would identify fornication as sex before marriage and adultery being sex with another other than your spouse. Now, we need to understand a little bit about the culture. So let's drop back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, there was she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And so you see there, uh, they call, there, there is an, she's espoused, and we would kind of relate to that as an engagement, but it's much more than engagement, and we'll find that in the context. Look, look, look here with me again. And the birth of Jesus Christ is on this wise, when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, there's been no sexual contact, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost, then Joseph, her husband. This espousal is so powerful that she, before they even consummate the act with sexual act in marriage, he's considered to be her husband. And then, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately, and so he was going to divorce her. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thy son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Ghost. And so to put her away privately was not to, you know, keep her hidden, send her off someplace until she has the baby and then they could adopt it out and she could come back and they would all appear to be everything on the up and up. But to put her away privately meant that he didn't want to bring it into the legal system. He didn't want to shame her, but, he, but he would, the, the espousal is to put her away meant I'm going to break this espousal. That the engagement is off. The espousal is off. Now let me read to you, and it'll be lengthy, but uh, I think it's uh, helpful. When a Hebrew man desired to marry a Hebrew woman, he traveled to her home where he discussed with her father the price he must pay to secure her hand in marriage. And I think some of you fathers should uh, get on to that, saying, saying, well, a jet boat would be nice, or <laughs> before we... Once the man paid the purchase price, the marriage covenant was established. The man and the woman were now regarded as husband and wife. After this marriage covenant had been established, the groom left the home of the bride and returned to his father's house. He remained there for a period of time, often a year, and prepared a house for his bride. At the end of this period of separation, the groom came back for his bride. And actually, as you understand that, the Lord uses that illustration that he's going to prepare a place for us. 
and he's going to come again. He's going to receive us. Uh, and uh, that's the culture of that society, that the agreement to be married, the bride price would be settled. He'd go back and prepare a home, and then he's going to one day come and receive her unto himself. After about a year, the completion of the house, the groom and his best man, accompanied with many others, would head off to the bride's home to consummate the marriage. They often took place at night. They would come by torchlight, and as they neared the home, the bride, there was a shout. Hopefully the bride and her tenants were already were ready and together, and you know that somehow she got the news he was coming. The entire bridal party returned with the groom to the prepared house. There is the bridal chamber, and the, the marriage was consummated with a physical union. If during that period of separation, the bride had been unfaithful, the groom had a legal right to divorce her. This is a historical setting for the word fornication. They weren't married, but she had fornicated. They were engaged. They were considered as already as husband and wives, but when she was, uh, when she was unfaithful, then the, the groom, or the, you know, they had the right to say, okay, this is off. And that's why we have the wording here, except for the cause of fornication. While Mary was still, while Joseph and Mary were still engaged, but before they had physically consummated their marriage, Mary, uh, Mary was found with child. Uh, another man writes, although Joseph and Mary were not yet married, so sacred was the period of engagement or betrothal that they were considered married. Consequently, Joseph's only recourse seemed to be to put her away, which meant to give her a bill of divorcement, a certificate saying, in effect, this woman is not my wife and I'm not her husband. And so what is the point? Jesus is saying for a couple to be married, divorce, and remarry is sin. And um, that's, not a, that's not a popular position. But listen, we're not in popularity contest. We're in, a, we're in holding to the truth. And it's very tender to many of us. I know I can say for my family and, and the family I married into that there's going, that you're going to find divorce and remarriage people. It's a part of our corrupt society. It's a part of people not knowing the Lord. It's a part of building your relationship on your emotions and not upon the word of God. And so uh, we can appreciate the fact that God is in the salvaging business and that there can be even people in your church that have been divorced and remarried. But we can't... Uh, change the scripture. And so let me let me just talk briefly about the effects of divorce and the ramifications of it, of divorce and remarriage. First of all, to divorce and remarry 
it breaks a sacred vow. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is he which shouldest not vow than that he should vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry and, the vo and thy voice in the be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands. And so, <coughs> simply talking about vows, but go to the book of Malachi, the last one in the Old Testament right before Matthew. And look at Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13. Um, Okay, 2.13. I don't really need 13. Um, 14, but ye, but ye say, wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness, well, let me read 13. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out, and so much that he regard not offerings anymore or receiveth with receive it with good will at your hands and so the worship was false but without heart yet you say wherefore because the Lord hath been witness between thee and thy wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant and did not he made and did not he make one yet had he the residue of the spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. And it goes on and says in verse 16, The Lord thy God of Israel saith that he hateth putting away divorce. For one covereth violence, and his garment and the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. And so he describes dealing with your wife of your youth and putting it away. He describes it as the word treacherously. And he uses, and he said it, he, he hates it. And, and an interesting word in verse 14 at the end of it, thy covenant. And what a lot of people don't understand in a marriage, there's three parties to the marriage covenant. The groom, the bride, and God. And so it breaks a sacred vow. <clears throat> What's the consequences? Well, the first, maybe that I'm going to list, the, the first consequence is children and the effects upon children. God wants us to raise a godly seed, it talks about here. 
And uh, when a father and mother divorce, he's saying uh, marriage is not a lifelong commitment. And uh, how does a child deal with his love for his mom and his love for his dad, his respect for his stepmom, his res her respect for her stepdad? How do you deal with that? Well, by God's grace, he's overcome it. And, and, uh, but it's far better that it never took place. Now look over in the Proverbs chapter 6. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 30. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he is hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold and shall give all the substance of his house. And so, you know, a guy who takes your stuff and it meets a need, it, uh, you can understand that. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it, destroyeth his own soul. A wound of dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. There's not a married woman here today or a married man who uh, doesn't receive an unfaithful um, the news that your spouse has been unfaithful that it does it, it's not like a, a sword to the heart. And it goes on and says that that kind of action is going to bring about a reproach that can't be wiped away. Some people can't understand, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you see me differently than you, why do you look at me differently than the rest of the people? And, it, and it's not necessary, in, you know, that we're, that you, the people are being prejudiced or even looking down, but the fact of the matter is you dealt treacherously. <laughs> and uh, again, let me say to you that Our great God is in the salvaging business. And some of the greatest of God's servants are those who've come to admit that, you know, I messed up. And, and there becomes a problem when people get divorced and remarried and they're church members and, and their second marriage is prospering and the Lord's blessing that for people to see, well, hey, look at over here that the Smiths got divorced and remarried and God is blessing them. Why can't I? And so the greatest ministry that a divorced and remarried couple can have is that don't use us as an example. 
of what you can do, but use this as an example of what God can do. And don't use this as an excuse. Just as God can build, uh, you know, give you a new life and a new family, he can also help to repair that which has been broken. And so uh, I would always counsel people that have been divorced and remarried to, to counsel anybody that's talking to them against divorce and remarriage. And so the teaching of the Bible is that divorce and remarriage is wrong. Marriage is presented as a lifelong commitment. And so let me just talk about this a little bit. Because bold, uh, marriage is boldly and clearly presented in the Bible as one man for one woman for life, then it's not to be entered into the basis of some kind of romantic sentiment that spine-tingling experience. Oh, I just, I just get warm all over when I'm around her. Or careless thinking or careless desires. To put it another way, and you're going to have to either throw this statement out <laughs> or take it. Love is a lousy basis for marriage. Love is a lousy basis for marriage. Unless you get over into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and understand what love is. But this all this emotional stuff is a lousy basis for marriage. And uh, I want you to notice uh, Genesis chapter 24. There's not a, I don't think there's a man here this morning who's been married for any length of time. Let's say five years. That <laughs> uh, doesn't say that his love for his wife it now is in no comparison to what he thought. I was sure that I couldn't love Susie any more than what I loved her on the day that uh, she walked down the aisle and a tear ran down my face and as she was watching me I, I went like that <laughs> and caught the tear and she always reminded me of that and it was an emotional time. But when you see your wife go through the delivery of eight children, there's something greater than that beautiful bride walking down the aisle. Because, I <laughs> because of who I am and who she is, I guarantee you, there was an argument before the first week was over. 
And so in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham sends Eliezer to get a wife for Isaac. Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Arad said unto his eldest servant of the house that he ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, a way to make a covenant, a swearing to an oath. And I'll make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. And thou shalt go into my country, into my kindred, and take a wife unto thy to my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Preavirtue, the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land, must thy needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou camest. And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou that thou bring not my son thither again. And it's really a wonderful story and how he prayed that the Lord would reveal this girl to him. And even before the prayer was hardly over, he revealed it. And on the way, we see this one who's involved in this holy, 100% relying on the Lord. In verse 11, he made his camels to kneel down without the city by the well of water at the time of the evening and the time of the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me a good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of the water, and the daughters of men of the city come out to wa draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I'll give thy camels drink also. Let the same be that she that hast appointed, let the same be she that thou hast appointed, for the servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. You need to sink into your heart and mind as you prepare your children, and maybe you're preparing now, the words, she that thou hast appointed. It's more important to know the will of God and to know the degree of perfection towards you. And then look down in verse 66. He comes back with her. Isaac is out in the field. He sees Eliezer coming. Rebecca, in verse 64, lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. That's many jokes have been made about that verse. For she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother's Sarah's tent. I want you to note the order here. And I think the order of the Bible is significant. 
she became his wife. He took Rebecca, married consummator, and she became his wife. And he loved her. He had sexual relations with her. She's his wife. And he loved her. It doesn't say he loved her. He had sex with her. And she became his wife. It doesn't say that. And so, uh, the most important thing that you can know is... God's will. Because um, there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be problems. There's going to be a necessity to go back and say, okay, God, (laughs) you gave me peace about this. I searched for your will about this. Now you're going to have to give me the grace to be what I need to be and help me to make this work. Because you see, one of the things you've got to understand about marriage is this. God uses marriage to grow you. <laughs> and not all growth is easy, but it's necessary. Uh, and so we get back to the crisis, the crisis moment. What is it? Well, we say to you again that he's saying, pluck it out. Deal with that that's causing you to think wrongly. Deal with that that's luring you into a bad relationship. And I think as we enter into, enter into a, trying to find a spouse, that we need to put the Lord first. I was discussing yesterday with Brother Richards about some of this, but, you know, I think that uh, the wife you marry is going to be attractive to you. And and God's going to bring it. There is going to be a physical attraction. But the most important thing is to know with a surety that this is what God is leading me to do. And that God will help me. And uh, and there's no room for us, and it does society no good when you begin to compromise with these teachings. Yeah. Okay. Go home and be mad for at me for a week, and then get over it. <laughs> we dismiss.